0: it's a collective responsibility and it takes real collective leadership to be able to move the work forward.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Seen at Work, the podcast. It's the podcast where we highlight diversity and inclusion professionals and the work they're doing to help their fellow employees feel seen at work. I'm Natalia Eileen. I help build more diverse, more inclusive workplaces. And today I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with a fellow diversity and inclusion practitioner, Gary Davis. Gary Davis is the diversity equity and inclusion advisory director at Greenhouse Software. He spends his time supporting clients in their diversity recruitment strategy, particularly leveraging data. And during our conversation, Gary and I dug deep into many of the different strategies recruiters and hiring managers can use to support their equitable processes. We spoke extensively about equity and the ways in which unbiasing our processes can really bring that forward. We have strategies in here, we have tactical examples of what people have done, and I think this. Podcast in particular will be really useful for anyone who's looking to support their recruitment process. So, with that, I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I did. All right, everyone, I'm here with Gary Davis, um, who is joining us here on the C Network podcast. We're so lucky to have him and his expertise in in recruitment, and he'll be chatting all about the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion in recruitment. So excited to have you. Gary, how are you?
0: I'm doing well. I'm excited to be here. How are you?
1: Not bad, not bad. It's the start of a new year and mm-hmm. feeling really excited and ready for all that's to come. So happy that you're you're one of the first that we're chatting with this year.
0: This is an amazing way to kick off 2021 oh. and all of the interestingness of 2020 has come to a close and so i'm just super excited to be here super excited to have been asked um and you know really looking forward just to having a conversation and just really kind of talking about the things that you and i both care about um and hopefully some things that others that may be listening will be interested in learning more about too
1: totally thank you so much well let's kick it off let's not um you know keep people in suspense i'm sure they're interested to know more about you about Uh, who you are, what work you've done in this space. If you can just share a little bit about yourself, I think that that's a great way to start.
0: Sure. Um, So I'll I'll talk about myself as it relates to the work that I do. Um, So you know this, but folks that are listening to the podcast may not necessarily know. Um, I am a first-generation college graduate and spent the last decade working to really improve access opportunities and outcomes for folks with similar backgrounds. Um, so originally from the Detroit area, have lived on the East Coast for the last 10 years, um, started my career in the college access nonprofit space. Um, so you and I, I believe actually overlapped working at Teach for America. Um, that's where I would say I spent the bulk of my career and really grew as a leader, toward really understanding like macro level, what are the barriers that, Um, preclude people from either experiencing higher education or perhaps even doing well in higher education when they're there. Um, And so moved on to graduate school at the University of Pennsylvania, really studying college access and higher education. Um, And to be clear, when I say higher education, I don't necessarily mean college or university. Um, It's pretty much any type of training, resource, exposure that folks receive once they complete um, high school. Um, and so again, wanted to really learn more around like what are the barriers that are in place and then what can we be doing on a more systemic basis to really uh, you know, disrupt and dismantle those things. And then after school, um, stepped into a full-time talent role um, being the director of people for a train, national training organization that specializes in tech education and career development. Mm-hmm. Um, and worked on standing up the people functions, so those things related to talent acquisition, learning and development, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, culture mm-hmm. retention. Um, and so for the last 18 months, I've been working at a company named Greenhouse Software. And what we do is we're a recruiting software company. And so if you think about large brands like Lyft or um, you know, GoDaddy, so to speak, um, you know, these, these major brands that we come to contact with every day, we are the software where if you are interested in applying to work at those companies, um, that you would be able to fill out your online application. Um, and so in this space, I work with customers that are looking to build out more robust uh, processes, practices, et cetera, with respect to bringing in a more um, diverse candidate slate and then also mm-hmm. respecting them throughout the process um so again you know over the last 10 years the, the big thing for me is just changing the world um, um you know, <laughs> just changing
1: the world nothing too crazy
0: know, nothing too big you know <laughs> just baby steps but really trying to focus on um leaving the world i would say in a better place than what it was when i first got into it um that i think that's kind of my north star
1: amazing well thank you for going through that process it's really lovely to hear your entire story in a nutshell, and to see how your passion has really flowed through the entirety of your professional experience so far and your work in diversity, equity, and inclusion. So. We're lucky to have you, like I said, and excited to hear more about your thoughts on diversity, equity, and inclusion within the recruitment space, because I know that's where your brain has been the majority of the last 18 months, especially, but then throughout your professional career. So would love to dig into that. I know that you've been doing a lot of thinking and you and I have done some talking about uh, how people are always thinking about diversity recruitment and especially now since you know the the experiences of 2020 more people are really thinking okay how do we do this how Mm -hmm. do we how do we think through diversity recruitment and I know that you have some thoughts around how diversity equity and inclusion should be integrated into recruitment Um, so I'd love to hear more from you if you want to dig right into that
0: yeah absolutely so you know to your point in 2020 we saw a renewed interest in wanting to build just better companies better better businesses um and doing so through this lens of diversity equity inclusion which i'm going to sub and say dei um, for the remainder of the podcast um and i think what's interesting about that is you know a lot of what happened outside of the workplace especially in a world like COVID, where our home spaces are now our workspaces we were really forced to just kind of confront um, everything—things um, mm-hmm. that we may have elected to ignore, um, you know, over the last few years, perhaps over our lifetimes. And what i found to be really interesting was that we saw a lot of companies publicly come out and say we are going to do better we are dissatisfied with where we are we Mm -hmm. are open to exploring new avenues to bring in um, more individuals from overlooked groups Mm -hmm. Um, so whether that be folks that identify as people of color women folks that are neurodiverse folks of different sexual orientations um, different backgrounds of any type of, of sort what I found though, what was really interesting throughout that season was a lot of folks kind of subbing or using this language of a diverse candidate. Um, and so I've always struggled with that with that terminology because I think what it says is that it helps to really other people. Mm-hmm. And for me, when it comes to recruiting, the thing I always tell folks is that your process may not necessarily be broken, right? Like you are able to fill roles you know, quickly and then assuming that your team is working alongside your talent management business, you kind of understand how effective your overall process is. When you think in terms of trying to um, focus more on equity and, and inclusion within the process, what that really means is that you're trying to reduce the bias that shows up in recruiting. And I remember being a recruiter and, you know, flipping through resumes and asking questions. And I remember just kind of catching myself sometimes saying, this is the most biased thing I've ever done. I mean, apart from let's say like online dating, right? Where you're literally looking at someone's face and you're making a series of different judgments about them. It's actually no different than what I experienced in looking at resumes and frankly, kind of relying on the work of other recruiters to kind of give me confirmation of whether or not my assumptions or thoughts were accurate or not. Mm -hmm. And so when you blow that up at a bigger level, we see that Um, there's a lot that needs to be done. And whether that means you are evaluating how you write job descriptions, you're evaluating where you post your jobs, Mm -hmm. um, or you evaluate exactly how your process needs to change. Mm -hmm. And I think the real reality here is that recruiters um, really play a significant part, in my opinion, in building up economies. And what I mean by that is, we are the folks that literally decide who gets advanced to the hiring manager, or who exists kind of in that nebulous limbo. Limbo mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. you know, I've applied for 15 different positions. I've lamented in writing this cover letter. I'm um, speaking from uh, from from experienced folks, um, if you can't tell. But you know, all these different moments of really pinpointing. Well, how do I build a process that is fair? Mm-hmm. Um, but also understand exactly what bias looks like within that process. Yeah. And so for me, it's, it's really thinking about how do we just educate recruiters on how to do that? Well, I mm-hmm. don't think that most um, you know, education programs, whether those are certifications or perhaps graduate degrees, when we talk about diversity in those arenas, it's far more from a compliance basis, but we don't necessarily focus on what inclusive excellence looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a huge opportunity for us to be able to do that in a more concentrated way in 2021 and beyond.
1: I'm really curious hearing you talk about this distinction and, and making it clear that what you're really talking about is decreasing bias in this process, right? Um, and you named some of the specific suggestions around how to do that. I'd love to hear if you have maybe a few a few suggestions or a few, uh, I don't know if success stories is the right way to put it whatever it might be that you think could be helpful to help people wrap their heads around how they could be reducing bias in their process as a recruiter yep. or as a hiring manager, what are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna segment that out from into two camps. One is gonna be focused on actual recruiting and the second part is gonna be focused on hiring. Mm-hmm. The first part, you know, one of the, the top line phrases that I saw come out over the last couple of years um, into the mainstream was really this idea of unconscious bias. Um, which again is something that obviously as humans we are all suspect to. This is literally just a byproduct of just literally breathing. So there's only but so much we'll be able to do to get away from that. I think where we missed a step is that we were so focused on discussing unconscious bias within recruiting or just unconscious bias within the workplace that we didn't pay attention to more blatant examples. Um, And so to give you some context, for me, I am an aspiring data nerd, um, and what that means is I try to really look into, you know, these major spaces that people primarily recruit from. And so, if you think in terms of looking at different universities, where a lot of folks will say, if I see the University of Pennsylvania, for example, on a resume, that will instantly trigger. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not immune to this. When I would see certain names, certain institutions, certain employers on a resume. I would make a series of different assumptions about that person's mm-hmm. uh, confidence. I'd make a series of different assumptions about whether or not that person would be able to contribute to the business. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, um, we have to start paying attention to where those biases and assumptions come from. And what evidence do we actually have that says a graduate of Penn is you know, any more productive than any other in, you know, graduate of any other institution? Mm-hmm. And so what I've started to really coach people into doing is really to pay attention to when they say, I only want to see candidates from Stanford, or I only want to see candidates and it's from Vanderbilt, great, let's actually dig into the diversity stats of those institutions. Let's actually look and see, at least for the Ivy League, if you're looking to hire black talent, for example, um, you have, I think, at least statistically less than a 10% chance of finding someone um, from those particular institutions. And so for me, it's, well, how do we really focus the recruiting process on really maximizing people that can do the job? Mm -hmm. And that job and that evidence is, glean through the content on the resume, not necessarily mm-hmm. the names or the things that stick out to you. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that really stems back to this idea of we rely upon other people to do some of the work for us and we rely upon them mental shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And so for me, what that means is, again, I'm looking to see if I see pen on a resume, I'm going to make an assumption that the admissions person saw something in this individual's background and that they are likely to be able to contribute at my company or on my team. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, there's no evidence that says an Ivy League degree or a big 10 degree or what have you um, makes a person any more or less compatible or productive in the workspace. And so I think Mm -hmm. we really need to kind of interrogate where exactly do people come into the, where exactly people come from into the process? What are the things that we pay attention to? The other thing I I talk a lot about is really challenging the idea of referrals or network-based recruiting. You know, you think about it in terms of how we have so many different resources out there as job seekers Mm -hmm. um, with respect to how do I be successful or how do I actually find or land a role, whether that's, you know, revising my LinkedIn profile or whether that is, you know, paying someone to essentially write my resume for me. In all these preparations and you know how we think about answering questions we don't really have that on the on the business side right Mm -hmm. like we actually don't have much education or resources on how to effectively screen a candidate um, and make sure that we're doing so in a way that really maximizes and helps us understand what can they actually do. Um, again, I've seen people that are professional interviewers where they will give great answers to questions. They will leave me feeling satisfied. And then I've only sent them on to the hiring manager to pretty much get, you know, not exactly what we thought. Um, And so I think there there are a couple of different things that folks can begin doing today, which is again, paying attention to where their talent comes from. Mm -hmm. And when you think about things like referrals, at least in the United States, most of our networks tend to be filled with people that look like us. And so if you think in terms of how a large business, let's say 75% or more of the population self reports or identifies as white, Mm -hmm. more often than not, their networks, their friends, their colleagues, cousins, et cetera, um, also are going to be white. And they're also going to continue to refer people that happen to be white as well. Right. I think we have to get to a point where we, identify what trade offs are we willing to make in the recruiting process that again does not position us to not get the most qualified and talented individuals. But we have to really trust and look at people for their contributions or their potential for contributions. Mm -hmm. I think we can do that going into the second part with hiring of building processes that are fair that are really driven by merit, not relationship. Right. What it could look like is offering some form of a take-home assignment or some type of test. Um, and when I say test, I don't necessarily mean an aptitude test or even a personality profile. I mean assigning someone a project that allows them to demonstrate a skill set or an ability that they would need to be able to perform when they were actually in the role. Mm-hmm. And so whether that means you give them a couple of different scenarios or you give or offer some form of a writing assessment or a sample, you're really, what you're doing there is really getting a, a pulse on what can this person actually do when presented with a real world problem. Like, I wanna be able to understand how do you solve problems versus, right. you know, how, how, Delicate or how attractive let's say your resume or LinkedIn profile may look. Yeah. And so I think the the big thing there is we have to move in a more structured decision making world realm and what that means is We're focusing more on competencies. We're not necessarily looking or interviewing strictly by the resume or even the cover letter. But we identify what are the right attributes or competencies that we're going to use that we deem to be important for the role will then design an interview process that allows us to really be able to test for that in a way that is fair, that is a way that really indexes on the, the talent and what the person's capable of producing versus, mm-hmm. you know, I like, oh, I see that you went to Michigan. I also went to Michigan. What dorm did you stay in? You know, all these different questions right. um, that really pepper our ability to really see a person in the, you know, agnostic of their skills and more focused on like how we actually like them and how we'll think we'll be able to collaborate with them.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I know historically, I think a lot of companies, a lot of people have had the experience of uh, you know, using the, those networks and really leaning into some preconceived notions about certain universities and schools and even, even certain companies that people have previously worked at, right? Will kind of trigger this, oh, they must be amazing. I know um, when we talk to recruiters, we're often sharing specifically, you know, these are the biases that often come up within the hiring process. And you named, I think yeah. it was like the halo effect, right? Where you see mm-hmm. something and it's like, oh, they must be awesome or yeah. affinity bias, which yeah. is they're a lot like me. We should have them on here because they're so much like me. Do Backward. you think that we should be spending more time mm-hmm. um, reviewing the different kinds, or at least alerting people to the different kinds of unconscious biases that we all harbor, especially recruiters and people within the recruitment and hiring process? Do you think that's something that that people should be really pushing for within their companies?
0: Absolutely. And I think we have to think about it in terms of real life examples. Um, and so for me, it's, it's one thing to sort of show a diagram of what the different definitions are, but I think Mm -hmm. we have to focus on what that looks like in real time. Mm -hmm. And so when you are on an interviewing team and you are, let's say, in that final roundup phase where you're deciding you know, who are we going to move forward with? Who are we going to, you know, not extend an offer to or who are we just going to outright reject? Mm-hmm. I think we have to get to a space in which we're able to kind of ask those questions in real time. And I think that really stems back to our abilities to really give feedback to our peers, right. um, which oftentimes is largely associated with like our ability to be and build relationships with them. And so I think the the, the challenge for me there is like, yes, I definitely want to be able to educate people on halo effect, recency bias, all these different forms. But at the same time, I want to be able to see growth. I want to be able to see how people are able to apply this education in the moment mm-hmm. um, and ensure that when they are interviewing, that they are doing so fully understanding that there's a responsibility that comes alongside that and fully, themselves, fully understanding what is required of this role mm-hmm. and how do we leverage things like interview rubrics to really hold ourselves accountable to make sure that we're finding the right candidate. Mm-hmm. And I think the concern i've always seen is that you know folks will say we, we engage in structured hiring and i'm like that that's fantastic that's the, the thing we try to drive people toward. But then, when you ask the question of well what standards, do you have with respect to capturing your evidence. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're just giving like a a yes with no context or you're giving a no with no context, Mm -hmm. you know, as a recruiter, I go back and wonder, well, what exactly happened in this conversation and how do we ensure that when we talk to candidates, you know, we're able to really evaluate them fairly and consistently against those attributes or against those competencies and ensure that those different biases are not, in fact, impacting or influencing the ways in which we are communicating with candidates because, you know, for me, the big piece is, Talent acquisition, yes, is a huge part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about folks that can go on and be brand ambassadors in the, in the long in the long run. Folks that we may not hire today, but we could hire tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so I think about employer branding a lot. I think a lot about how we really reinforce how inclusive and open our environments are based mm-hmm. on the candidate experience. Mm-hmm. Because realistically, candidates uh, know other people in their networks and in their lives. Yeah. We all yeah. have social media now to you know, really put some companies on blast if we don't have great experiences. So, something we need to pay attention to for sure.
1: And it's interesting because you're, what you're describing are uh, additional benefits to Mm -hmm. thinking about equity and inclusion within the hiring and recruiting process, right? Because Mm -hmm. sometimes people are very um, honed in on, we need diversity, we need more people of color, we need more, you know, fill in the blank, different demographics that we don't have here very important to get that diversity in your organization. But also there are reasons why an equitable and inclusive hiring and recruiting process are are useful to your organization, right? You're talking about this idea of of employer brand and whether or not people want to work for you and whether or not they go out and talk to their friends about you. so I, I wonder, are there any other benefits that you can think of related to this work besides the fact that you then end up on the other side with potentially um, a plethora of, of um, you know, people who are coming from all sorts of different backgrounds? Is there anything else that you think might be useful?
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you kind of touched on it, which for me is it's not enough to really index on bringing in diversity just for diversity's sake. And what I mean by that is I think a lot of companies will say that we need more women, we need more queer folks, we need more people of color. And I'm never gonna fault a company for like having a level of recognition. The challenge for me is we'll exert all of this effort and resources and energy toward bringing people in but we don't do anything to retain them,
1: Mm -hmm. right?
0: So for me, it's this larger connection between what does the talent acquisition arm of the business do relative to the talent management arm Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we can really focus on anything DEI and i related if we're going to signal it out or single it out um, toward one specific spoke on that employee life cycle. And so for me, if we're going to invest in recruiting more, we also need to have a conversation around how we're going to focus on retaining individuals mm-hmm. um, of, of, of all backgrounds and really commit to really examining and slicing any data that we do have by those specific demographics to really pinpoint what is working and then where are areas of improvement I think sometimes folks are so we do one thing and it's great, but then like something goes awry so we feel like we failed. And yeah. you know, I think by nature, anything under this, you know, human resources, people, talent realm is always iterative. And I think we have to get to a point in which we recognize that all sides of the people team or all sides of the people operations or HR team really need to be in concert with each other to fully understand that. This is not something that one team is uh, the owner of. Um, mm-hmm. It's a collective responsibility and it takes real collective leadership to be able to move the work forward. Mm-hmm. Now, that could mean you do hire a director of DEI, which um, is becoming all the more important right now and all the more common. Um, I think I saw a stat on um, LinkedIn recently that says that the chief diversity officer title has grown by I believe like 84% or something potentially higher Mm -hmm. Um, which again makes sense in a space like 2020. Of course. However again sort of singling out that one person to be responsible for that work when it actually again needs to be collective and shared um, Mm -hmm. really inhibits one's ability to be effective in that work and also really slows down any progress that individuals that are employee resource groups or diversity councils or mm-hmm. you know any person that you know identifies as being from an underrepresented group in their organization or the industry mm-hmm. And so i do think we have to get clear around what are the trade-offs that we're going to be able to make because for me when i hear de and i i instantly hear change management right? oh totally that's mean, yeah like to me means that something <laughs> that we have in place is mm-hmm. not satisfying one community mm-hmm. or perhaps multiple communities Mm -hmm. And so what are the trade-offs that we are going to be willing to make or exercise Mm -hmm. to be able to achieve the state that we want to be able to see? Right. Um, And that's not always in dollars and cents. I mean, it largely is, or at least it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think we need to really focus on the process change element that I think people kind of downplay or discredit or, you know, think that we just have you know we we celebrate pride for example like there's, there's a lot of performative work that i think that's happening
1: 100 percent.
0: you know concentrated mm-hmm. strategic um investment mm-hmm.
1: no and i i couldn't agree more about that change management um note i think a lot of people don't realize how much mm-hmm. of a of a project all of these are if they mm-hmm. are to be done effectively right we okay. Do underestimate because it does seem like oh you just have an event here or you know yeah. you you put something on the website no all yeah. of these if they're to be effective they require a whole lot of work and yeah. um, all of the different the different changes that one could think about when maybe you know shifting a culture or integrating a new culture a new vision yeah. um, or setting up a new initiative all of them are included in this process so I appreciate you sharing that. And you kind of started touching on this, but as you're digging into recruitment and hiring in particular and thinking about DEI in those spaces and de-biasing a lot of that work and those processes, what challenges do people consistently run into? It sounds like there's a potential challenge in what you just shared around the lack of kind of cohesion, right? Or people thinking we did recruitment, look, we got all these people and then not supporting them with any inclusive practices internally. What other challenges do people typically experience especially while trying to de-bias their hiring process or recruitment process? It's
0: a great question. Um, I think recognizing that it is all in work um, and that there are, yes, there are some, some low hanging fruit and some short term wins, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if people really, again, going back to the change management park, are content with learning a new system or a process or just a new approach. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes I'm hit with this question of where exactly do we get started? Like we are very early into our journey. We you know, may not even necessarily know what we're going to get started with or what area we're going to kind of uh, invest in first. Which I think is common, and I think you know yeah. the humility that it takes to be able to vocalize that is is huge, and I think that that needs to be acknowledged. But I also find that people will kind of stay into that space for longer mm. than what they need to do, and I think. People are just trying to figure out like what's not only what is step one, but like what is step 34, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here's the reality: there is no road path toward achieving this because again, it's people related, right? So we have to think about this in terms of what will this mean for my company or what will this mean for my team. For me, where I encourage people to really get started is like do some personal work, really understand like who you are as a le- who are you as a leader or who are you as a manager. And what experiences or individuals have influenced your present state? When you think in terms of adding on a question about the backgrounds of the people or the experiences that have so, so you know so importantly impacted you, um, how diverse were those individuals? Where what backgrounds did they come from? Think about your own present social network. So if you were asked to refer someone for an opportunity, do you instantly think of someone that looks like you? Right. And let's be honest, at least in the United States, this is really tricky because we are living off of the vestiges of legal discrimination in this country and legal segregation in this country. And so based on that, we're still navigating residential segregation. We're still navigating segregated school systems. We're still navigating um, occupational segregation. And so all that considered, there's a lot that we have to sort of battle against um, on an individual basis and also on a macro basis. Mm -hmm. But I think the big picture here is really figuring out what can I actually control? Um, and then how exactly do I bring others along with me? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, it goes back to this idea of like, let's focus on relationship building first because we actually, we can no one can do all this work uh, alone. Um, you actually need a coalition of individuals that are just as committed and just as bought in. But I think we need to kind of peel a layer of the onion back and focus on what sacrifices or what compromises are we actually willing to make And then what milestones can we begin to kind of put in place? So whether that means we're trying to say by 2025, we want, um, you know, equal representation by genders or across different genders. Um, What exactly is that pathway toward getting there? I think Mm -hmm. people place these goals out. And again, I'm excited that people are having goals, but when you kind of ask those deeper questions, like, okay, well, how exactly are you going to get there? Um, Folks aren't quite sure. And Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. one of the ways to get there is to, really examine your current process. So I oftentimes get hit with folks that ask the question of, can you recommend any diverse job boards that quote Mm. unquote will cater toward individuals from overlooked or underrepresented groups? Mm -hmm. And I push back on that because my big question is, well, what evidence do you have that the groups that you are targeting or looking for aren't actually currently applying to your jobs? Um, And I mean, as I don't know if folks probably won't be able to hear this, but I'm a black man, Um, and a black gay man. And so I've never really found a job on specific portals that cater to both of those identities. I usually find jobs on LinkedIn or I usually find jobs directly on the careers website. Mm -hmm. And so with that in mind, we have to really dig into where are people coming from in our process um, and how and when and why are we uh, removing them from our process, like where are we, where and why are we dispositioning people? Mm-hmm. And that's also focus on how things like referrals. Again, um, right. we believe in them. I think in the HR space, we talk about how referrals are, you know, the most effective way toward bringing in a candidate to the organization. But again, when we'll we add that layer of equity on top of it and that layer of diversity on top of it, we don't mm-hmm. really focus on, or we 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 choose to, I would say, ignore the fact that people with different backgrounds make it a little further along in the process relative to others. Mm. and I think the the last piece for me on that aspect of where the recruiting piece is like, mm-hmm. we just need to do direct outreach, right? Like we need to like specifically source mm. um, for individuals that we are looking for. And I think that you can do that using different Boolean search strings. If your company uses LinkedIn recruiter, um, if your company uses um, even just baseline things like Intello or just mm-hmm. a, a navigated search, where you're just looking for people that satisfy the requirements for the position mm-hmm. yet still based on their affinity or based on their identities happen to be a member of a community that's underrepresented yeah. And i think the other part is just you know we really need to push back on this idea of what qualified means um oftentimes i see this idea of or the, the, this phrase we specialize in uh supporting or sourcing Quali- qualified diverse talent or diverse qualified talent, which to me is like, well, why would any talent that is applying for a job, like why wouldn't they be qualified? Like why do we need to basically qualify diversity? Why can't we just say that this audience of people mm-hmm. um, is in a position to be competitive for a role, but we have to really get through that mental block of a person that is a person of color or, mm-hmm. or someone that identifies as a woman is in any way less capable or in any right, way more qualified right. than someone else?
1: Right. I think what you're describing, um, and I hear it often, um, and I it it really is the kind of thing where we we push back on around we're not going to change our standards just to get more diversity. Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't have to, and that's yeah. not what we're talking about. No
0: one's asked you that <laughs>
1: exactly. <laughs> and that's I think what you're talking about, right? Where it's like that shift in mindset where some people are coming in with that. And we need to make sure that we're talking about this in terms of it being not about that, but about finding the people who are there, who are are going to be great for your organization. So I think there's been a lot that anyone coming to this podcast, whether they're in recruitment or, you know, a people leader who is growing a team I think there's a lot that you've offered that they will be able to take from this and really run with. I wonder if you have any specific advice though for those who are really tasked with the diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives within these organizations, whether they're working closely with the recruitment teams or with the hiring managers or with the people leaders, what do you say to those DEI professionals?
0: Sure. So let's. I'm going to go back again and segment this out by the recruiting function and the hiring function mm-hmm. um, based on the DEI components. So I'm going to start with inclusion first because I always recommend starting there. Again, I think it's paying attention to how we are inviting different individuals into our process. Um, and so again, we talked about this idea of people paying attention toward things like institutional prestige or perhaps even the previous employer or the industry you can actually turn that on its head. And so what I've done is pull together guidance from um, the college scorecard through the federal government, where you can actually see the racial backgrounds or breakdowns of each institution that's listed there. And what I did is I looked also at the US News World and Report University rankings of the top 30 in the United States and basically show folks like, hey, you want to recruit from, probably shouldn't say names, but like if you want to recruit from certain institutions, um, here is the spread of what those student populations look like. And I would argue that the alumni populations probably look somewhat comparable. Um, mm-hmm. And I think starting there kind of really pushes this needle around, well, what, where are we finding our talent from? And how exactly do we know that our process is as, you know, biased light or as inclusive as possible? Mm-hmm. I think the other piece is, you know, adding components, even on the hiring side around using a structured process. So again, making sure that you are, Um, Not just sort of getting into a conversation with a candidate and asking them to read you or run you through their resume, like that's not substantive. I think it's a matter of us asking the right questions that really test towards specific competencies and then also utilizing different assessments. So, you know, the research tells us, for example, that hiring assessments, take home tests, if you will, are Mm -hmm. the best predictor of a person's uh, performance in a particular role. So they have the highest predictive validity. Um, but again you don't necessarily see that happening all the time for Mm -hmm. roles that are even in a more technical environment or roles that are not Mm -hmm. I think from a diversity standpoint it is again identifying and engaging which sources tend to lead toward greater diversity at the top of the funnel Mm -hmm. Um, examining things like those job boards um, committing to doing that direct outreach and then also Mm -hmm. interrogating how referrals may work Mm -hmm. I think on the hiring side it is again like how much of an emphasis do you place upon things that really have no merit or value? So if I see certain names, or if I see that uh, the formatting looks a certain way that is easier for me to digest, but also may, you know, cloud or otherwise like limit my ability really to test like what this person can do. Right. And I think with the equity part, this is where I'm actually starting to get more interested in it's from a recruiting angle offering up different examples of things that companies can do that help in finding the individuals that they claim to want to hire. Mm -hmm. And so one example is perhaps even offering an apprenticeship program. And what I mean by that is something that offers training toward individuals from communities that Um, may not necessarily be significantly overrepresented at your company or maybe at the industry level. Mm -hmm. And then specifically saying like, hey, I understand that there is a larger barrier at place that precludes people from fill in the blank background toward entering this career pathway. Mm -hmm. Um, Instead of you know, lamenting about it, or instead of just saying, like, we are doing our best, we are having a hard time finding, like, just sponsor something, sponsor some type of offering, whether those are online courses, whether those, that's a direct apprenticeship training model that really helps people understand, like, listen, we want to do what we can, if we do hire someone from our program, from this apprenticeship, fantastic. But even if we don't, they at least have access to the training so that if they Mm -hmm. do wanna go on and work somewhere else, they're just as capable and imbued with the exact same skills that most folks or some folks that do come into your process already natively have. And I think the other piece for hiring is like, we gotta focus on anonymization if we can. So I see a lot with you know, blinding aspects of resumes. So things like names, schools, employers, Um, And I think the biggest piece is let's train our hiring managers, let's train our recruiters, let's train our interviewers on how bias shows up and the things that they can actually do within their purview to be able to control it.
1: I, I think all of those are really helpful suggestions for people who are really trying to make a change here in their current approach to recruitment or hiring. I I think I appreciate you mentioning equity in the form of these initiatives where people could be doing apprenticeship programs. I think often people are like, I don't fully understand the equity piece of DEI, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what you're describing here is the fact that there are plenty of people who maybe historically have been underrepresented in certain industries and could really benefit from learning more about your company about your industry and that is how we make the process more equitable because other people might be all over that industry might have uncles and aunts and you know whomever in that space and can give them that kind of support so i appreciate you naming that because i think that's another area that i i don't think we touched on until now that people could be really leaning into so that's you know We can keep talking, Gary. There's so much for us to talk about. And sadly, we have to draw this to a close, but thank you for your time today. It's been really, really useful, I think, for others who are listening and for myself to really re-engage in this content and think through some of the really clear and research-backed practices that could move forward in this space that people can use to move the needle. So thank you for being here, Gary.
0: Of course. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. And I think the big takeaway for me is there is no start-stop point for anything dei and i related. No. Um, I think we need to expand this, of course, starting with recruiting, but it needs to expand this across the employer, entire employee life cycle. So um, I'm super excited. So again, I've had the opportunity. And I just want to shout you out for all the amazing work that you're doing in this space with this podcast and your work. Um, it is desperately needed, and I'm just thankful to um, have a friend that is also doing this work in a really intentional way, um, and it's really focusing on being of service and, you know, operating from a space of let's let's do this together. Um, so just want to shout you out for all the stuff that you're doing too. I appreciate too. that, Gary.
1: All right, well, we'll hopefully see everyone next time. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>